Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So on March 16th, started some home improvement projects. We wanted to kind of make home feel new without actually moving. So we started some home improvement projects. We were getting the, the inside of the house painted and we were going to be changing some things out and, and we were getting rid of stuff that just wasn't wanted anymore, wasn't used anymore. You know how homes just sort of accumulate stuff over years. And so we're cleaning things out. And I literally loaded up my wife's SUV with donation stuff. I mean, from the floorboard to the ceiling, it was full of stuff. And then March 17th happens. And March 17th, shelter in place. And suddenly everything is closed. And this little home improvement project we were working on kind of came to a bit of a screeching halt. And, and to this day, we have some painting left undone. We have cabinet doors that are missing. We have donation stuff piled up in the garage that was supposed to be gone. And I was getting a little frustrated with this uh, a little bit as time was going on. And, and then I remembered a friend of mine, a buddy from down in Southern California, an experience he went through last year. He had a fire in his kitchen. It might have been a little bit of a this is us kind of moment with the crock pot thing. I don't know. But he has fire in his kitchen and his family has to literally move out of their house for four or five months. There's a period like that. Like they can't even live there. But then, you know, part of the process, you have a fire in your home and insurance begins to kick in. They're like, hey, we're going to fix your house and it's great. And of course, what he told them was, hey, just build it like it was. Like, just go back in there, find some 30-year-old countertops. You know, maybe it was like a, a nice wallpaper on the side. Just stick in like old stuff. Make it like what it used to be. Well, no, of course not. Like when you can rebuild something, you're like, hey, we're going to take advantage of this. And he did. He had his kitchen and parts of his house totally remodeled and, and rebuilt. And it looked amazing afterwards. Because when you have the opportunity to improve and you have the opportunity to take something that was and make it something better, like you're going to take that opportunity, right? Well, this is where we're headed in this series, The New You. The opportunity we have to, to not necessarily go back to what was, to, to rebuild what we had before, but to move into something new, to move into a, a better version of even who we are. And, and last week, Matt just did this amazing job of, of opening our eyes to, to the bigness, if that's even a word, the bigness of Jesus, the immensity of who he is all-powerful, you know, holding the universe in the palms of his hands, that his presence, this, this immense, big Jesus is present with us. And as we continue this journey of the new you, we're going to sort of take that next step of understanding today as to the proximity of Jesus with us. 
And, and we're in the book of Colossians. If you want to open up, we'll be in Colossians chapter 1. But, but we're in the book of Colossians. And Colossians is a letter. It's a letter written by a guy named Paul. And, and Paul, at one point in his life, was like the farthest thing from a Christ follower you could, you could find. In fact, he was like a Christ unfollower. You know, he was a persecutor of those who believed in Christ and, and followed Christianity. But then one day he has this experience with Jesus. And his entire life is changed. And he would start traveling around and starting churches and, and all this. And he's writing this letter to this, this group of Christ followers in Colossae. Colossae was an ancient city which is in now modern-day Turkey. But he's writing this letter to, to a group of people that he's never met. But that doesn't diminish his care for them, his, his desire to, to see something happen in their lives, to see, to see them grow in Christ. And so in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 25. Here's what Paul says. He says, I have become its servant. And by its, he's referring to something he had just previously said to this. He's referring to the ecclesia, the, the gathering, what we call the church, a, a group of Christ followers. He says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. In essence, he's saying, hey, I, I want you to know everything there is to know about who God has revealed himself to be. I want you to know all of it. And he says in verse 26, including the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Now, there's not a whole lot of mystery left in the world today. I mean, knowledge is, is abounding. Like you can Google anything and like knowledge is right there. You can learn, you know, some of you, you you're so desperate at this point, you're Googling, how do I cut my own hair? Like, can I hold the scissor and look in the mirror and how do I get the back and all that kind of stuff? You know, some of us, like I didn't grow up in a house where we were taught like handyman type skills. There were no handyman type skills. So when it comes to stuff, like I have to, like YouTube is my friend, right? We, one of the things we did do during this time is changed out some ceiling lights for, for fans. And as we're getting these things, my wife looks at me, she goes, wait, like you know how to do this, right? Without killing yourself. I'm like, come on, of course I know how to do this. I'll just look it up on YouTube. But we can find anything. In fact, I Googled knowledge. I Googled the word knowledge. And within 0.4 seconds, under a half a second, there were 1,540,000,000 results that came back up. Some of you over the last number of weeks and months meant you've become more of an expert on coronavirus than microbiologists because you know, you found the right blog to follow and it's telling you all the stuff you need to know. But I mean, it's out there. You can find it. There's not a lot of mystery left in the world, but we do need to be careful. You know, I read as I was, was looking up all this stuff and Googling all this stuff, I came across a, a quote of Abraham Lincoln that, that simply said, hey, don't believe everything you read on the internet. That'll catch up with some of you later there. But you see, our scientific society seeks explanations. I mean, we've done a great job of it. We've explained many, many things, and that's awesome. But there's still mystery in the world. And religion is where we can still find mystery. You know, how do you, how do you explain God? How do, you, how do you find God? How do you know a God that you can't even really explain or totally maybe even know how to find? 
And in Paul's day, just like our day, there was, there was mystery around there. There were, there were mystery religions. There were these sacred, secret, you know, religious practices that were going on that, that all centered around, you know, we have this, this private secret knowledge of, of the God, the deity we're worshiping. And you know what? It's reserved for a select few of us. And, and we can't let other people know. They don't get to know if, if they haven't been initiated into our group. And we're going to keep it hidden from, from everybody else because only we know these mysteries that have been revealed to us. Well, Paul writes and he says, hey, God has pulled back the curtain of mystery. God has removed that mystery when it comes to how to know God, how to find God. He says the path to God has been revealed. The truth of the mystery is out and it stands alone. You see, God's plan for redemption, God's plan for this, this broken world that we lived in, God's, God's plan for this broken human nature that, that we're born with is Jesus. It's now known. It's the story of God becoming man, of, of God in human flesh, of, of Jesus as the Son of God and, and the Son of Man. God being made manifest in the flesh to redeem us from sin to save us and, and to restore us into a relationship with God that was broken by sin. And it's through Jesus' death on the cross, through, through his defeat of, of the grave by his resurrection again. The mystery is gone. The power of sin and death has been defeated. We are now free to know God, to find God. And Paul says this, this mystery is, is not a mystery anymore. And, and this is where Christianity totally separates itself from mystery religions, from, from mystical religions. Because Christianity is, is grounded in real-life events. Uh, Reformed scholar Herman Ritterboss, he wrote this. He says, Paul speaks of the death and resurrection of Christ and places it in the middle of history as an event which took place before many witnesses. The myths of mystery religions, in contrast, they can't be dated. They all appear in all sorts of variations and, and they don't give any clear conceptions. In short, they display the timeless vagueness characteristic of real myths. Thus, the myths of mystery religions Nothing is to be found of the moral, voluntary, redemptive, substitutionary meaning, which for Paul is the content of Christ's death and his resurrection. You see, Paul says, the mystery's gone. We know the way to God, the way to know God is Jesus. Mystery solved, he says. And he goes on in the next verse, he says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says this, this, this knowledge, this, this mystery that's no longer a mystery anymore, what you can know, it's made available to all. And this was a radical idea in the first century. This was a, a radical idea to, to the Jews of the time. Like, wait, this is available to, to Gentile, to non-Jews. That's what a Gentile is. To a non-Jew, this is, this is open to them. This is available to them. Sadly, 
This is still a radical idea for some today, that Jesus loves everyone, like all people, like them. And the truth is this, that that Jesus didn't come for a select few. Jesus didn't come for this, this secret group of followers. Jesus came to show God's love for all humanity, gender, race, ethnicity, social class. Jesus came to break down those walls and to display God's love for humanity. And Paul says, God's made known the glorious riches of this mystery. Glorious riches. It's like there's riches and then there's glorious riches, right? It's like a step up. It's kind of like there's Danville and then there's Blackhawk. Like Danville's good. Blackhawk is a step up. Paul says, man, he's made known the glorious riches of this mystery. And what is it? Christ in you. It's Christ in you you. Now, if, if, you, if you're like me, which maybe some of you are, you grew up in the church, you've been around the church for a while, or, or maybe you've even heard this said before, you know, you ask Jesus into your heart, right? Like, that's how he gets in there. You, you ask Jesus into your heart. And growing up in the church the way I did, I lost count of how many times I've done this. Honestly, as a kid, it was like, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. And, oh, I got to do it again. Wash, rinse, repeat. And, oh, man, I messed up again. And I think Jesus probably left. He got tired of me. So wash, rinse, repeat. Like, there was this, this idea that I had to ask Jesus into my heart for him to stay there. And then that's where he would be. He's like right there. He's in my heart. And sometimes we, we kind of view salvation, we kind of view a relationship with Jesus like that. Like, I said the words, and now he's in there. I got the rest of me covered, but I know Jesus is in there. And here's, here's what we need to understand. Salvation can basically be summed up this way. A relationship with Christ can basically be summed up this way. Jesus is Lord, and he made an end to my sin through his death and resurrection. Jesus is Lord, and he made an end to my sin through his death and his resurrection. You see, we enter into a relationship with God when we believe those two truths about God. Salvation is a decision. It's a decision of of trust and faith in God. And there may be words that go along with that, but what's really funny about the whole concept of asking Jesus into your heart, it's not that it's not biblical, but you really don't find it in the Bible. You know, there's passages that it's kind of pulling. They say, oh, this is what you do based on that. And words are great. But a relationship with Christ is found by believing Jesus is Lord and you put an end to my sin through his death and his resurrection. And when we place that faith in Christ, it completely and radically changes us because we give ourselves completely to him. It's not just us anymore. It's not Jesus is here in my heart because that's where I asked him to go and I got the rest of me covered. He's not just in a part of us. He's in all of us. He moves in. He takes up residence within us. And that's the new you. It's Christ in you. And this is the core of Christianity. It's the core of the belief we hold in this mystery that's been removed about how we can know God. It's the heart of the gospel. 
that God is not out there somewhere, that he's not a God we're just trying to hope, he's, he's not too far from us, that you haven't forgot about us right now, God, that, you know, he's still kind of, oh yeah, I got Scott down there, I need to pay attention to him, like, hey Lord, we're sitting here in our living room, we <laughs> haven't left in a couple months now, you know, he's not out there far from us, he is with us. Shelter in place doesn't keep God away from us. Difficult times doesn't drive God away from us. Doubt doesn't cause God to abandon us. He is with us. He is in us. Christ in you. Now, this might be the most important thing some of you hear today. And, and if there's one thing, like if you have to choose one thing to remember, I'm going to encourage you, choose this one thing to remember from this, okay? And it's this that you are not alone. Even in shelter in place, even in a place of quarantine, even if where you are sitting right now at home, you're literally the only one there. You are not alone. Your life is in Christ and his life is in you. Your life is in Christ and his life is in you. Paul, you know, he, he wrote most of the, the letters that comprise what we call the New Testament in the Bible. And Paul wrote over and over again, over 216 times actually, about the, the indwelling of Christ in us when we're a Christ follower. One example of this, he says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In essence, Paul's kind of saying there, he's like, hey, listen, I had a life prior to. I met Christ and he moved in and he took residence and I have Christ in me and it's not my life anymore. Now it's the life he's living in me and the life that I now live, man, it's so much more because of him who gave himself for me, because of Christ who sacrificed himself for me. You see, there's, there's no other philosophy, there's, there's no other religion that, that makes this claim, that, that, that it's the movement that implies that it's living founder, that, that the presence of, of the person who they're following actually lives within the believer, within the follower. But Paul says, you want to know the mystery? Oh, man, it's so good. It's a glorious rich. It's Christ in you. And here's how this works, because God himself, through Christ, in the person of his spirit, has taken up residence directly and personally within us, in our lives. We have his life within us through his spirit. Jesus calls it him the, the advocate. Jesus said in the book of John, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another. He's kind of saying, hey, listen, there's going to be a time where I'm taking off, I'm not going to be around, but I'm going to talk to God and he's going to send another, the advocate, to help you and be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. It's Christ in you. 
the Jesus who's the very image of God, who, who holds the, the universe in the, the palm of his hand, who's Lord over every power of every authority, the, the creator of all things, who defeated sin and death, lives in you. And his presence in us gives us, Paul says, the hope of glory. Gives us hope. Back in 1981, a guy named Eugene Land, he was a, a self-made millionaire, and, and he got invited to speak to a group of uh, 61 sixth graders in East Harlem. And this was a class of predominantly black and, and Puerto Rican students who statistically, they weren't going to graduate from high school. Most of them would not graduate from high school. And on the day he's going to go in to speak to them, he's thinking, man, what do I say to these kids? Like, what do I say to try to encourage them? What, what can I say that's going to inspire them? And, and when he showed up to the class, he kind of just like put his notes aside and, and he spoke from his heart. And, and here's what he told them. He said, stay in school and I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. Like, just see this through. Like, don't quit. Keep going. And if you do, I will help pay for your college tuition. At that moment, the lives of these students radically changed because now they'd been given hope. One of the students later said, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was like this golden feeling that I had. 90% of those students, that class, ended up graduating from high school because of the hope they were given. 70% of them went on to go to college because of the hope that they had been given. They had been given promise, which gave them hope. Now, we've talked about hope a lot recently, and I personally don't think there's, there's like a point of hope overload, like, okay, enough hope already. And some of you may be feeling that a little bit, like I recognize that. Like some of you, you're not really in that bad of a situation. Like maybe this is sort of in a weird way been like an extended vacation of sorts for you. And, and you know, but, but other people, it's like, Scott, you, I, there, hope is the only thing that kind of gets me up and, and keeps my momentum going forward through the day because I don't know what's out there. And, and hope is, is, is the motor that just kind of keeps me going. And sometimes we can start to think, you know, like, Scott, I've heard this before and, and I'm listening to you and part of me wants to say, yeah, I agree, but you just don't know my situation. The, the, the words this Paul guy is saying, yeah, that's great, Christ in me, it's a hope, but you don't know the reality of what I'm facing. He doesn't know the reality of what I'm facing. Listen, here's what I want to tell you. Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's not writing from like, a beach on the Mediterranean. You know, he's not like at, at Club Colosse or something like that. And, and he's got, you know, the reclining chairs if they had those in those days or, you know, some sort of, you know, he doesn't have any of that. Paul is actually writing this from a prison cell. Paul is writing this litter from Mamertine prison. This place was called the House of Darkness because few prisons, even for this day, the day of Paul, were as dim and as dank and dirty and dark as the Mamertine prison. In fact, Roman historian Sallust said this, he said, its neglect, darkness, and stench gave it a hideous and terrifying appearance. This is where Paul's at when he's writing about this hope of glory that we have. 
Paul knows what it's like to have life disruptive. Paul knows what it's like to, hey, he doesn't know at this point in time if he's even getting out of this place. You know, then you didn't go to prison for rehabilitation. You went to prison because it's like, yeah, basically you're either gonna die here or we're, you're, we're gonna come out and we're gonna execute you. Like, you don't really get out of prison. He doesn't know what's ahead of him, but from this place, he is writing about the hope. Paul knows what it's like to have life disrupted and yet have hope. Because here's the key, and please hear this, hope is not a result of the condition you find yourself in. Hope is not a result of like, okay, things are at peace around me, and, and I've got control of this stuff, and, and everything's back to here or back to there, and like, okay, I know where this is going. Hope is not a result of the condition you find yourself in. Hope is a confident expectation of the future. Hope is a confident expectation of the future. And some of us have discovered over the last couple months that we had misplaced some of our hope. We had put our hope in, in people or, or things or, or places or, or resources. And, and it, these were hopes that were built on, on probabilities and, and possibilities like, okay, if the market goes up, woo, my hope paid off. Or as long as these people still think I'm doing a good job or still like me, okay. And we had placed our hope in this stuff. But in Christ, we find a hope that's based on a promise. It's not based off probabilities or, or possibilities. It's based off the promise of the one who gave himself for us. Paul says elsewhere in another one of the letters he wrote to the Romans, he says, therefore, since we have been justified, since we've been made right with God, we've, we've made this decision of faith and, and God has, has forgiven our sins and we've been made right with him through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in this hope that he's given to us. Now, what is this glory? What is, okay, we've got the hope, Scott, we get that, but what is this glory that, we're, that he's talking about that, that we're hoping for? Well, the glory is, is the culmination of our story. It's, it's the culmination of your story. It's the culmination of my story. It's, it's the knowledge that we're being changed by God more and more into his image every day as we move forward, that, that this life is not all there is, that there is more to this life than just what we see, that, that there's a life after, that we have hope for the future because of what Christ has done for us in the past and in the present. But don't misunderstand this. Paul isn't just saying, so, you know, we're just setting our eyes on something that's way out there and we're just going to ignore the realities that are around us and just sort of cover our ears and cover our eyes and, and just not pay attention to it. It's not just a hope for a future destination and, and we're just going to zone out to the world around us. It's not an escape from reality. But this hope of glory also transforms us in the present. Some of you may know the name Johnny Erickson Tata, and you may know her story, but, but if you don't, at 17, she's, she's out having you know, fun with friends, and they go to a lake, and, and she dives into this lake, and, and in a tragic accident, she hits a rock under the water, instantly becomes a quadriplegic, instantly becomes. Now, just put yourself there for a moment. Like, that's a radical life change. There's no going back. 
There's no return to the normal of what was. Life has been you know, irreparably changed moving forward. And listen to what Johnny Erickson taught us, not months later, but years and years later. She says, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God utterly despised the horrible suffering that led to his son's crucifixion, the hate, treason, the torture, the injustice, and the murder. But God allowed what he hated to accomplish something he wanted, salvation for the world of sinners. The exact same principle is true in my life and in yours. God allows things he hates, like my spinal cord injury or your terrible trial. He allows those things so he can produce something in our lives that he loves. Christ in us, the hope of glory. She goes on to say, it's clear that God allows all sorts of things he doesn't approve of, but he always does it for reasons that are wise, specific, and good, although some of those reasons aren't always clear on this side of eternity. But one reason is clear, she says, God is all about changing you to make you more like Christ. Now, let's just call it what it is. Like, that's uncomfortable. I mean, that's uncomfortable to think of God, that we don't want to believe that that a loving God would allow things that he hates. I mean, that would kind of make him unloving, wouldn't it? That would kind of make him uncaring, that you don't even care enough, that that it sort of wrecks our, our Western sort of sanitized view of God, that, well, no, God's role is to, like, make my life, like, smooth sailing, like, smooth out the rough edges of it and keep me going forward. Like, that's uncomfortable to think of God that way. And yet, to say God is unloving or uncaring because he would allow things, how does an unloving and uncaring God send his only son to die, to free us, to redeem us, to restore us into relationship with him? You see, the reality is is this, and it is a reality, it's a tragic reality, that life is hard. Life can be Difficult, life can be tragic, but God remains good and loving. I mean, stop and think about this for a moment. What would would change? What would change if we began to live with the attitude of Christ in me, the hope of glory? How would we be changed? What would change in in our attitudes? What would change in our relationships? What would change in our situations? If we lived with the reality, the, the mindset of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Well, Paul says, one more verse, he says, he, Jesus, he's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. You see, Paul says, if we take on this mindset, if we live in the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory, what's the end result? It's growth. It's becoming more Christ-like. It's maturity in Christ, Christ Christ-centered living. I mean, that's, that's what we're all about. That's, that's our, our goal. It's our desire. It's, a, it's our mission as a church to lead everyone into Christ-centered living. And maturity is a result of growth. 
Now we get this, right? It's, it's like, it's why they call it growing pains. When you're young and you're getting, it's like, oh, my knees are, you got growing pains. And I actually read this this week. I come with, again, careful what you read on the internet, but I read this this week. I read that, that one medical site said, there's no evidence that growth hurts. There is no evidence that growth hurts. I'm thinking this person has not really experienced life, right? Because who of us would say, oh no, I've had periods of growth in my life where it was painful, like it was tragic, like it was uncomfortable, like I would never want to go back there again, but I grew from it, I matured from it. Because growth is often a result of time under tension, time under pressure. That's how things grow. You know, shelter in place hit, and one of the things of everything that closed was gyms, right? And I'm a routine person. Like, I follow a routine every day. And one of my routines is I get up, and I try to go get a workout in. And all of a sudden, that stopped. Like, there's no workout. And I don't have a home gym because I'm not interested in having a home. But we have a few little things, something I'd never worked with before. But my wife has are, are bands, exercise bands, right? How many of you have exercise bands? Like, I'm like, these, these aren't workout things. It's like you shoot them at other people and stuff like that. But what I've learned is like, oh, man. Like, if I really use it and I researched, I got onto the YouTube, and, and if you research how to use these things, like, you can really have a workout with these bands. Because the key to using this, the key to, to any, you know, physical growth and, and health growth, and, you know, you want to stay in shape and all that, is not just, okay, I got to get through these. Oh, there's my set. I'm done. Woo! It's not about how fast you can get through it. It's about the time under tension. It's about, you know, the making sure that, that the muscle group you're working on, that both when you're, you know, stretching it out and letting it back in, that you're keeping that muscle under tension so that there's growth. Because for something to grow, it has to be torn and then repaired. Author and, and pastor Andy Stanley, he said this, growth doesn't happen on any level unless something is being torn down and built up. There is no growth without tension. There is no growth without challenge. And sometimes the challenge is painful. And sometimes it hurts. And sometimes it's extremely difficult. But growth through tension, through difficulty, through challenge, leads to maturity. Maturity in Christ. A fully devoted follower. A Christ-centered follower. You know, for some of you, this, this shelter in place, like these last two plus months, it, it's helped you reconnect with the Christ in you. Like you've had time to just, just zone back in and, and zero back in on that relationship and that place he has within you. And, and for some, maybe you've drifted from that because of the uncertainty that surrounds you and, and the challenges that surround you. For some, maybe your eyes have been opened to the fact like, I need a hope that, that's greater, that's, that's bigger than myself because the things that I had my hope in are no longer there anymore. Whatever category you may fall into, for all of us, this is a season of growth, of maturity, if we allow God to do his work in us, to make us new, to make us better versions of ourselves. That when we reemerge back out into society, that we're not simply going back to what was and falling back into the same patterns and habits and, and routines, but we are reemerging a better version of ourself 
because of Christ in us, the hope of glory, maturity, growth that has happened during this season. Because God is working on us. God is refining us. We're going to come out if we allow him to do his work with a faith that is stronger because of the trust we've gained in him. With a, a love that is deeper because of the love that we have felt from him. With a relationship that is stronger because of the time that we have spent under tension allowing him to grow us. You know, we may not always have a choice of the season or the situation we find ourselves in, but we do always have a choice of our attitude. We always have a choice of our posture in that season or in that situation and what we can become from it. And my prayer for me, my prayer for my family, my prayer for you is that we would give everything, make the choice to give everything, every part of who we are to the Christ who is in us and live in that mind frame, the better version of who we are. Because the best version of you is not simply you. The best version of you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. God, my prayer is that you would Fill us with this reality that you're not distant from us even though we may feel completely alone right now. That you're not just in a, a part of who we are, but Lord, you have moved in and taken residence into all that we are. And that proximity within us, Lord, gives us a hope that we hold on to, Lord. That, that we're going to allow to transform us and to make us more Christ-like through this season so that when we emerge, we're not the same as when we came in. But Lord, we are a, a better version of ourselves, more Christ-like in, in attitude and thought and action and word and deed because we have grown with you through this. And so God, we, we give you our everything. We give you all that we are. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.